Galatians 3, the beginning of Galatians 4. This is Paul's letter to Galatians. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor female, free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when you were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, Howard Brown, the senior pastor at Christ Central Church. And I got a little schniglet in my zoink. Um So that means I got a little congestion. So excuse me, I try to take as much drugs as I could and uh, <clears throat> still didn't work. So bear with me uh, this morning. Uh, we've been looking into a letter, Galatians, written from pastor and church planter, Apostle Paul, to a group of churches. He started sometime between uh, 50, 60 AD in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. And this letter is the Word of God. It is written by an apostle, one who saw Jesus and was called by Jesus personally. Paul, in this case, called in particular to the Gentiles, to tell the Gentiles, the non-Jews, about Jesus, to introduce them to Christianity. Well, Paul brings the heat in this letter against the Judaizers, Christian Jews who are seeking to make new believers, uh, to trap them into doing and performing uh, the Old Testament ceremonial laws and and being circumcised and, and following the dietary laws, performing, if you will, to be accepted by God. And he brings the heat to the Gentiles who believed and began to follow these rule and regulation freaks. And now Paul brings the heat to us, even against those of us who seek anything more than belief, faith that God has welcomed his people by his unconditional love and favor through Christ. He brings the heat, seeking to convince us for the first time and for many over and over again that it is not by your works your good or gooder or better behavior that you are God's, that you are saved, that you are made right, but by the grace of God alone offered through Christ Jesus. Well, it's safe to say Paul turns the heat up further here because he kind of goes family with the thing. Uh, you, you know how you can always start a fight? Anybody know how? 
You remember in elementary school or middle school or high school, well, how do you start a fight? Now, the cussing can go on, the, 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 the personal attacks can go on, but there's one two-word phrase that'll start a fight. Anybody know what that is? Yo mama. I mean, I've heard the worst things said and done and things thrown at folk. But as soon as you say, yo mama, things escalate. Let's get ready to rumble. I knew if somebody said yo mama, you couldn't walk away from that. You know what I'm saying? Like if you want to get somebody to fight, yo mama. Oh, and you know the whole crowd. Ooh, you know. Well, in Judaism and Christianity, the word is not your mama, but your daddy. And Paul drops the bomb, a bomb of personal definition of identity, of worth. He starts talking about your daddy. And for the Jews, there was nothing more they held onto than the label of what? Being God's children, children of the heavenly king, children of the father. And Paul gets right into the mess. He deconstructs and he rebuilds, showing now in the appearing and coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, what really makes people children of God and God their father. But more than that, for the sake of the Jew and Gentile alike, how in Christ's coming, the good news of the gospel assures the children that that, that in God, they not only have a father, but in Christ, their father, their heavenly father is daddy. This text we read says, Abba, father. You know, I always grew up having a father and uh, whom I naturally called daddy. My father called his grandfather, the man who raised him, he affectionately called him Papa. It's fun to hear my man's mouth say it. Who's that? That's Papa. You know, that's Papa and Mama. Well, you see, until I met Kelly, who, who, my wife, who didn't know her biological father, I didn't know that there was a difference, that a difference could be marked, more inten- a more intense difference marked between a father and a daddy or a pops or a Papa. In, in my mind, they were all the same thing. I remember in our dating relationship when we got to discussing some of the ins and outs of our family, she kept telling me that her daddy was Madison Gordon, the man who gave her away at our marriage. And I figured that it was her biological father. And I remember saying, no, Madison is my daddy, but he is not my father. In other words, he didn't biologically bring me in this world, but he cared for me and he called me his and he kept me his. Madison was a father who was my daddy, she said. And Paul is saying here to the Jew and Gentile and to us now in Christ, God is not only your father. One who for Jew had ethnic and legal implications and ties, but that he is your daddy father, which means so much more to being his. And it redefines the place of the law. It redefines and even redeems those of us who have no outward rights or goodness to ever call God father. And so many of us have no voice. We have no word. We have no prayer for the word daddy when it comes to God. But in Christ, we can call him and be cared for as his children. Children of God. God the Father. God Daddy. Because this passage teaches us that he cares for us. Now, one of the most intimate fatherly things I do for my boys 
that, that outwardly may not seem uh, like much. And sometimes, let me tell you, when it's bedtime, and we, Kelly and I have this line, it's bath night, dog. You know, that means you got to get them together, bathe them, do the tub thing. And it's like, oh, bath night. And, and it may not seem like much, but is you know, I give, I clean my boys. I wash them. I stop their bodies from getting dirt diseases. I stop their teeth from rotting, especially Harrison, you know, with his eczema. He needs that kind of special soap. And, and, and per our pediatrician, he needs to be lotioned up to the point where he won't slip out your hands. That's what she used to say. This text teaches us that you are the children of God because God bathes us. Look with me at verse 26 and 27 here in chapter 3. It says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. It says here that God's children have been baptized in Christ and not just the act here, not just the sacrament. Uh, the term baptized means washed, literally watered over, watered down, watered, covered, and by extension, cleansed, cleansed, washed, bathed. And it tells us what it means to be children of God through Christ, that Christ has come to take our dirt away to take our sin away to take our messiness away and legally so to expunge our record i like that term expunge because it sounds like the word sponge is in it it isn't really it you know but it means to kind of wash it away wash all the the bad record away and in bathing us he takes away the things that will cause us to rot spiritually and emotionally and spiritually and in being baptized bathed in christ it means that our reproach before God has been removed. Our unforgivable stench before God has been forgiven and removed. We stand clean. Sin record and sin eczema free before a God of perfection washed in Christ by God the Father to be His. Because we are His, the Heavenly Father not only bathes us, but the scripture says he clothes us. He says those who've been baptized were baptized with Christ. You were also clothed in his righteousness. Let's be honest here. A father, a good father, let's call that a daddy. Make sure his kids got some clothing. He gives them what I would describe as an outward dignity matching the dignity he holds and sees them in. You know, that's why we got kid Jordans and kid Timberlands that they wear for one month and grow out of. That, that might be a different sermon, but it means that not only has Christ cleaned his people, God's children are those who have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ and outwardness. Get this, that we now wear the very actions of Christ, the good actions, the good works of Jesus on us as if we did them. My dad just got a new sports car, a Porsche. Country boy from Ranto's getting a Porsche. He don't know nothing about that. You know, he's just going through that crisis thing they talk about. And so we've been waiting to get home to drive that bad boy, let me tell you. We've been waiting to get home, you know, getting that 
whatever it is, 9-11, whatever it is. Get, get, ooh, boy, so I've got home. And you know, he kind of got this nervous, hey, mom and daddy, I'm so glad to see y'all. But you know, in the garage, there's something waiting. You know, I'm, I'm in my 95 Volvo, just popping up, thinking I can't wait to get in this. And so I, you know, next morning, I didn't take no shower. I didn't brush. I just wanted to drive the car before the boys got up. And I hopped in that, put some pants on, hopped in that thing. And it felt kind of weird. It just wasn't right. You know what I'm saying? I didn't, I can't afford this thing. I'm driving. I ain't got no money. It's my father's for me to drive. His son, take a ride in it. You know, fear felt weird. I'm looking good, looking around, hoping somebody see me. What's up? What's up? Yeah. I saw somebody else drive by in one. What's up? Boop, boop. There, you know, they look like they were old enough to afford it. You know, I, In Christ, God has given his children right standing. He's not only expunged your record of sin, he has given his children Christ's record. His earnings, his goodness. We're driving in the perfection and walking in the perfection. And yes, it feels even sort of wrong. People call the gospel scandalous. How can these sinful, undeserving, unearning people get in and be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus? And though it feels sort of wrong, the Bible says it's the only way to be right. It is wearing the undeserved righteousness of Jesus as your own. That, that, that is what his children do. It is what defines them. It is what even defines and describes who God is to them. Their daddy, father. All because of Christ's work. And Paul gives us an application immediately for this in verse 28. Let's read it. It says here, Therefore there is neither a Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, uh, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And let me make clear in joining Martin Luther again, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther the Reformer, 1517, on this. He says, this is sort of, if, if you could rewrite this verse, you could, if you could put an excedra there behind the list. You know, he starts here, but it could go on and on, Right? Neither slave, no free, neither woman, no man, neither poor, no rich, no educated or uneducated, etc., etc., etc. But his point is this. In Christ, all that makes you feel you need to perform or be better in who you are or where you are, how society paints you or treats you or where you are or, or where you think you might be better or more righteous than others. If we are in Christ, it means literally that all of our stuff stinks and we had to be cleaned up and none of our outward works or goodness or gender or class or religiosity was and is good enough. We all if we're in Christ, had to put on Christ to be accepted so that before God we smell the same in our dress, the same and thus receive the same degree of love and acceptance. And it's not saying that God condemns or does away with creational differences. No! 
is in fact, he makes them better. But that's not the point here. He is saying in all the ways that you are fallen or think you are better or made to feel better or worse from your world because of creational or social outward stuff, God does away with all of that as the ultimate and final determination of your acceptance or rejection before him. It's Christ and Christ alone. So when you feel like not so good a woman, maybe not as thin, maybe not as good a mother, maybe not as good kick butt corporate takeover, egalitarian as the other women, maybe you're not as good a man, not as good as a provider as, or not as stand up, knock him down strong. Maybe you're not as good child, often overlooked. Maybe you feel used or forgotten. And yes, those who are the Gentiles of the group among us, you're not as learned. You don't know the Bible stories. You're not as religious or as historically religious or having, you don't have a good track record or as spiritual. In Christ, all of those distinctions as far as righteousness or unrighteousness before God is washed away and covered up by the righteousness of Jesus. You and I, regardless of who we are, where we come from, simply but profoundly are a child of God and Christ, no matter what or who or where or how much or how little or how good or how bad, you're washed clothed in the righteousness by Father, by Daddy. This would have blown the minds and way of living with the Jew and Gentile in this church. I mean, you can see the Gentiles dancing, you know? Yep, neither Jew nor Gentile, you know. I'm not wearing a yarmulke. You are, woohoo, I'm all right still. Yeah, I know all your, you know, all your people named after Abraham, but look at me, I'm in. Thanks to Jesus, I'm clothed, righteous. You got to wear the same thing. And you, know, you can see that you're there, maybe humbled and weeping, but they're all going to the same place. We have a father in God, not by works or biography or personal moral history, but by grace. Because not only does he care for us, but he is our father, our daddy, cousin Christ. He calls us to himself. Read what I mean here. And let's look at verse 29 through verse 43. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and ears according to the promise. What am I saying? Is that as long, what I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the principles of the world. Now there's a lot of historical allegory going on here. So there is this dual teaching going on. I will let you know first, Paul is, is talking about the Jews. Has one people through history. You know, like their one child, waiting as heirs for the inheritance, like before Jesus came, waiting for their life under the law, the Ten Commandments, the rules, the regulations that kept them as God's chosen people. They were basically in foster care. The Bible says here with a guardian. Now, in the spirit of the Nota School of Art, putting on the Annie play, it's like Annie. 
little orphan Annie. And one thing about the story that's interesting is Annie's different than the rest of the orphans because Annie has a locket, right? And a locket's kind of this heart locket that is cut in half. And her story is this, that, 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 that because, you know, left in guardian, she's, she's, she's in this orphanage, but she can look at the locket and say, no, I have somebody who has the second half of the locket and they're going to come back to get me. They promise, look. Well, Paul is saying that they have been as a people, the Jews, outwardly so, were locketed, if you will, to live for the other half, to look at the law and look at their, the, the way God called Abraham and look for the other half, the fulfillment that God had promised. And that promise completion, that other half of the locket, if you will, to deliver them from the, the, the guardianship was Jesus which would have completed their coming into the inheritance. But but up to that point, as verse 1 says, they were just like slaves. Annie might have had Daddy Warbucks, who had the other half of the locket, but she was treated to what? The hard-knock life of the law of the orphanage, which would have made her long and look and trustful the more that the locket communicated. And to the Gentile and Jew... Now together, he is saying something through this that is more profound. That without Christ, there is no difference, verse 1, between slave and heir. And for Gentile and Jew, uh, without Christ the Jew, the heir, the Jewish person, becomes and lives like a slave. And the Gentile, the slave, becomes an heir with Christ. So the roles flip when, when one rejects Christ and one accepts Christ. Now, let's, let's flip it one more time. The Jew under the law who lived like an orphan slave now gets the promise as an heir in Christ. And now the Gentile, the lawless orphan, now gets to be an heir too with Christ. And his overall point is that is that under the law and now trying to live by the law was to go against God's purposes in Jesus. Jesus was sent to deliver you from the orphanage and now you're trying to go back. You know, Jesus was supposed to take Jew and Gentile from the orphanage, from the garden, from me and Miss Hannigan to receive and live in Daddy Warbach's promise of Jesus. Okay, enough about that. one of my favorite shows okay y'all in Christ God was calling us to himself out of foster care God calls his people and people to no longer live as slaves as orphans what does that mean as self-getting as having to steal to eat as having to demean themselves or, or pump themselves up in pride to be accepted to have to make enough money to have to look a certain way to be slaves to having to be good enough or bad enough to survive but to in Christ come out of foster care that was not good in and of itself because apart from Christ's life is a legal agreement your property of the state not belonging to anyone ruled over by no one except the rules the law and now God is saying come out of that way of life 
Quit trying to be good for yourself or good for whatever the world tells you you need to be. Come and live in a place where there's no more hard knock, lonely slavery life and come into the adoption of God the Father. Look with me at verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Sons, daughters. Let me tell you what is happening here. Jesus was born a Jew and as a Jew, as a human in this world, God came in the flesh, which means that he was born in the same world you and I live in. In particular, the one the Jews lived in with the law of the Ten Commandments and the law of circumcision and all the customs that us humans, Jew or not, could not do well enough. In other words, the Jews failed at it, we failed at it, and Jesus came to the orphanage of our world. He was born into an orphan's life. He was born under the, and knew the mean feeling of a headmaster, a guardian. And for some of us on the outside, he came into a world of thieving street orphans. Jesus came as one of us. The scripture said he fulfilled the law. What's that mean? He was perfectly obedient in a way you and I couldn't be. But more than that, he took the rap for us. See, Jesus came and he took our record under the law. He took the prison time for our theft. He took the hard knock life for our sinful alienation from God. He took, he came, he gave us his. So he took our record and he gave us his, remember, so that we could legally and fully and rightly be adopted by a God who could not be associated otherwise with lawbreakers. Jesus made us righteous legally before God and became legally unrighteous for us. It's the story of the prince and the pauper. Jesus gave us rights to be sons of God. And he took our poverty upon him. See, when Jesus died on the cross, it was the punishment we deserved so that we could live in the big house with Daddy, God, Father. He experienced the loneliness of being forgotten. He experienced orphanhood and and dirtiness of not being cared for. He experienced the defeat, the losing battle of being good enough for a demanding father. He experienced the turned face of a father who refuses to claim us as his own. He experienced the feeling like an illegitimate child who has no father, a father who refuses to call them their own and care for them or even send the child support. He experienced daddy hating you or despising you because you didn't become a doctor or a lawyer. He experienced that rejecting glimpse of not being all you should have been. He experienced a quiet, utilitarian father who, who comes home and eats and reads the paper and never engages you or knows you. It is safe to say Jesus experienced the whipping of an abusive dad. He experienced the right penalty for our sin and the sinful evils ever done to you and me. Jesus experienced hell as a child forsaken by his father. 
so that through that we are called by God into adoption as his sons and daughters. Look at verse 5 with me. It says here, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights as sons in Christ, through Christ. God does and did a legal adoption of law-breaking children, undeserved, unearned, now to be in an heir to the inheritance of God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. The King of kings and Lord of lords is now your daddy because of Christ. And now as the hymn says, you and I and those Paul wrote to can pour contempt on all our pride and others can lift their heads from shame and find dignity and hope as God's children. And in becoming God's children of Christ, they are kept God's children. God is daddy. Through Christ. Because in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, He never walks away. He never leaves His children. He's Daddy. I mean, He keeps us for Himself by telling us His children who He is. Look with me at verse 6. Because your sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out Abba. Father, which translated is, it's to say that um, Abba is the, the evocative. It's, it's, it's the way a baby or a small child would look at their dad and what they would call him, whatever would come out their mouth. So, you know, someone's dada, papa, whatever the child can cry out is what Abba Father. So that's why we say daddy or papa or, or, or whatever kid. And, and so most kids don't say father, but that an intimate, affectionate calling of God. But it's different here. We'll get into that. But we see the Holy Spirit who is God, the the third person of the Trinity. And the Bible teaches that this invisible, present God, not only outwardly today and then perform the works of God, but also inwardly it does the work of God in the hearts of his people. So, so much so that God's people in Scripture are actually called the temple of the Holy Spirit. The church, quote, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. And then this verse is saying this. It is not you crying, Abba, Father. It is not you crying, Daddy, Father, claiming and reminding yourself of God's role and love for you. It is the Holy Spirit saying, as the temple of the Holy Spirit, there's like this worship service going on in the hearts of God's people. But you and I aren't talking. The Holy Spirit is actually preaching a message, but but more than that, it's pleading inside of you, crying for and in you, in your hearts, hearing that you are a child of God, reminding you that your own heart should cry, but fails to do. Father, Daddy, Savior, and with that is assuring you, keeping you His by keeping the sermon going. Now, the Bible says the Holy Spirit takes the word, the message of the gospel, 
that we sinners saved by Christ to be children of God that, that we've heard even in this worship service and its songs and when we read the Bible and when we have fellowship with one another and as we take the Lord's Supper and it says through it in our hearts, this is for you. You are a child. God loves you. He is your daddy. He did this through Christ alone. And we hear the voice. And when we hear the voice, it confirms that if this sermon is happening in your heart, as we hear it, that we are his children, regardless of all that happens on the outside. And it's thus crying off. The Holy Spirit is yelling back. It's, it's preaching against all in our world that says you can't be God's. You aren't good enough. Look at your sin. Jesus can't forget that. You're a woman. God has left you guys to be overseen and mistreated. You're black. You know how folk are treat you. You're poor. God's forsaken you. That mistake you made you. That one meant no way. You, you ain't nothing but an orphan. So go ahead and live like that. Fix it on your own. Be good enough. Be righteous enough, be angry enough, be sad enough, and the Holy Spirit prays for us from the inside, and the gospel truth comes out and says, no, daddy, you have a father, a daddy, that you are his through Christ, and that is the truth. The Holy Spirit is the inheritance of those who are in Christ, and it keeps those who are his believing that they are his. And if you're living trying to work it out for yourself, some of us are angry with God. Some of us feel injured beyond being wanted or accepted, driven by the words of a daddy or mama or a religious leader to perform. Hear the word. Let the Holy Spirit say it in your heart with heart-changing, resonating power. Abba, Father. Daddy, Father, Papa. You are His by Christ and Christ's legal work of adoption. You have full rights as His child. Sinners saved. Sinners loved. Loved by Grace. And the scripture says here in the last verse, before it's verse 7. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. Since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. It is saying no longer live as a slave. As an orphan, one who looks at themselves in this world and says, no way. I'm too far gone. I'm too forgettable. This world is too fallen. My my dad on earth really did leave me. I mean, what do I or this world have to look forward to or open? Why not defend for myself? Why not be good enough? The Holy Spirit comes and says it again. Abba, Father. Quit living in fear. Quit working yourself to death. Quit proving yourself to death. Your daddy owns and triumphs and will take over all things. The Holy Spirit is saying in the gospel saying, your daddy is the Lord and King and God and creator of all things and the heir through Christ by the Holy Spirit has the privilege at looking at themselves in this world 
It's brokenness. It's evil. It's loneliness. It's despair. And know that there is an inheritance promised through Christ that will take it and make it right and secure and loved and beautiful. An inheritance of eternal life redeemed. No longer condemnable. No longer to be betrayed. A perfected life for you personally and you the church corporately and the world holistically. Our Father. Our Daddy. The world's Father in Christ and has will and will for many. Be a Father. Who is your Daddy? One who cares for you. Calls you. And keeps you. Abba. Father. Let us pray. Heavenly Father. Daddy. You've washed us in Christ. Clothed us in his righteousness. Now you call us to be adopted and cared and loved. Oh God, it's hard to accept. It's hard to believe. Holy Spirit, cry in our hearts today. Abba, Father, Daddy, Savior of sinners, Lover, of the unlovable, Savior of the lost. Help our hearts to believe this and live this today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.